welcome to Beyond Babel. This is Acer. Um, I am one of the hosts of the show, and right next to me is Paul. Hello, Paul. <laughs> good morning, Acer. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Hope we have a good show today. Inform you guys of some good stuff, make you think. That's all we could ask for. <laughs> yeah, it's not a lot of that going on around here. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, there's really not. <laughs> so the purpose of this podcast, if this is your first time tuning in, we are essentially going through the whole period of Jewish history. I'm tackling the Jewish part of that history, and Paul is going to be tackling the philosophical part and sort of everything else. Does that sound right? <laughs> yes, the nonsense. I, I tackle the nonsense. The nonsense. <laughs> You got the easy stuff. I get to. Yeah, the easy. I have to work out how we humans think cognitively and how yeah, we relate things. And you got everything else. Yeah. yeah, I do a terrible job, by the way. No, you're doing great. <laughs> yeah. And last week, if you missed it, we just sort of went over the early Bronze Age. And we end it with Paul getting ready to tell us a little bit about Gilgamesh. Um, before we get into that, I just want to pitch our Instagram. Uh, it's at beyond underscore babble. And if you follow us on there, I mean, we're pretty consistent every Monday at 10 a.m. But you could also follow us if you want to know additional updates or if you want to reach out to us, uh, contact us, whatever you want. We'll also be uploading this podcast at some point probably on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, um, and that link tree will be available also on our Instagram. Link tree. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I just learned about that the other day. I was like, that's actually kind of neat. <laughs> yeah, link tree. Oh, yeah, well, shout out to our media specialist, Natalia yes. Boyd. It's my lovely, lovely daughter. Thank you so much, Dad. She Nat. handles all of that, so... Yeah, she didn't tell me about link trees, though, so we got to have a discussion about Yeah, that. you're going to have to sit down and be like, what's <laughs> got to explain it to Pops, like, yo, what's a link tree? I barely know, so it would be helpful <laughs> if I could hear that, too. <laughs> but, yes, so if I guess we could just jump right into it. If you, I don't know, should we go over archetypes again, just briefly for, like, Yeah, I, give, I guess I can give a brief yeah. overview of archetypes. Um, uh, since we're talking history and philosophy and how they relate. Um, in my own studies, I'm a philosophy major here at Rutgers as a student, and some of the things that I, I have picked up on in my own studies and even in life are stories. And, you know, I, I question, why do we tell stories to, to relate history? And there's a, a, a bunch of answers for that, I'm sure, and hopefully later on we get guests and professional guests, like <laughs> prof, you know, professors yes, and historians. Yes, we're not going <laughs> yeah, to really explain this stuff, but uh, just in my own little way, you know, I, I, I started focusing in on uh, what we call archetypes, and, uh, and, and an archetype is just, in short, just a, uni, a universally recognized uh, symbol and a motive of characters and themes and uh, uh, for the most part we usually express these themes and these characters and these motifs motifs how do you say that word is it motifs Mo or, motif, or motifs or motive I, I think say, <laughs> yeah I don't know, but uh you know we usually express these archetypes in the written form through literature mythology, religion, and art. You know, that's how these archetypes show up. And the archetype itself is just a framework of how we tell the story. And the framework being, you know, you have 
characters and these characters represent certain things in the story, which usually on a deeper philosophical uh, perspective relate to, you know, how we actually think and the things that we actually feel as human beings and and the, these characters that we put in stories live out, you know, some of our thoughts, some of our dreams, they reflect on uh, how we actually, you know, uh, interact with the environment around us, which is nature and other people. And to see these, you know, heroic epics and watch their struggle and, uh, you know, the climax of the up and down and, you know, all of that jazz, you know, that's what these stories, that was, that, that is the, the makeup of the story. But as we go on throughout this podcast, I will go, be, I want to go a little bit deeper because I see the archetype as I said last week, and I, I liken it to how we, um, you know, we still never looked up what? when they mapped out the DNA uh, genome. Oh, I actually did. did? It was. Uh, it started in the eighties and it finished in two thousand one. I'm pretty okay. sure. Okay, all right. So look, we were both. We were like, I was real wrong, and you were a lot closer. <laughs> I know you said the thirties. Yeah, I was like, hold up, man. I could have sworn I would have like bet money that it was. <laughs> I was completely wrong. I don't even know how I got that. <laughs> I was so sure, too. You have no idea. <laughs> the 30s. Okay. The 30s. Okay, humans. We were we were advanced yeah, in the 30s. Yeah, we were doing great. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, I, I, I noticed that I believe, and this is my belief, I can't prove it yet because I haven't done enough research, but I believe that there's hidden gems in these archetype stories that we have yet to discover and similar to I liken it like I was just speaking about uh, with the how we were able to map out the DNA genome and all that is is we've literally mapped out the entire human uh, uh, structure of DNA and how, how we're constructed DNA wise right but yet we don't know still we don't know exactly what each combination actually does or what it means you know and I believe that's where we are with stories you know we have them mapped out. I can give you the heroic, the femme fatale, the, the antagonist, the protagonist. I can give you all of that in the story, but I don't think we we know intricately what you know uh, they actually mean. You know, I think we get, you know, we're still on the surface with it. So, absolutely. Yeah. I just like. Just so everyone knows, like, Paul is not alone in this venture. <laughs> and it's actually very common for a lot of different religious groups. I know with Jews in particular, um, to really look at the texts and with the knowledge that, like, we don't really know fully, like, what mm -hmm. is intended in that text. And so, like, this sort of theme about there always being, like, something hidden is not only very prevalent but I think mm. it's very true like yeah. there's so much that we just don't know and that we will never know because mm. we don't understand the full cultural context the linguistic context right. just like everything that was happening at that time and so there's always going to be like so much stuff in and we there. don't have to know you know that <laughs> yeah. the thing that I, I, I if I had any gripe with where academia uh, has <clears throat> has progressed into um, is this, you know, it's a small, I believe it's a, a small group of, or a small segment, I should say, of modern day academia who uh, propose that we should know or that we do know. <laughs> and when you take that line of reasoning, uh, the first thing that, that happens is you become unteachable. 
And if we, if we lose the ability to learn or to even, you know, take in information and we, we you know, assume, we, we make the assumption that we do know these stories, like we've analyzed uh, all these ancient texts and we know every intricate detail of them, I think that's an absurd ass, uh, assumption. <laughs> I agree. Right? And it, when I hear it, I, I'll listen, but uh, I don't after a while, you know. It's like I listen to be respectful but yeah. I kind of lose respect for people that make that assumption. So, it reminds me of the palm readers. Like, I know yeah. what you're thinking based yeah, on like, yeah. what you're, the lines yeah. of your palm. Yeah. <laughs> so this line means what? You know, you're going to die young. I'm so sorry <laughs> to tell you. <laughs> well, that, look, like, that's such a uh, profound claim to make. Yeah. I'm going to die. No, <laughs> no <laughs> expletive. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so... But, uh, yeah, so let me give you a, a brief overview of the story. Then I'm actually going to read a little bit of the epic. Um, story time. Yeah, story time. <laughs> no, that would be a good segment, story time. It kind of already is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, then I'll read a little bit from, uh, I believe, XI is what, 11? XI, yeah, 11. 11. So this is the, the I'll read from Tablet 11 of the Sumerian uh, tablet, which is also the Babylonian, part of the Babylonian tablet. There's 12 of them that we that we know of thus far. So I'll read from Tablet 11, the flood story. Not all of it, because it's too long, and I'll take up all of Acer's time. <laughs> but uh, just a little brief overview. Uh, the Epic, Epic of Gilgamesh is indeed one of the oldest known stories dating back to the third millennia BCE. Um, Acer and I have agreed that we'll accept the time of, what was it, 4,000 B.C. through somewhere, what did we say, 2,500 B.C.? I think it depends on if we're talking about, like, the complete, like, because the yeah, first complete was, yeah. like, 750 B.C., yeah. but they found scraps, like, exactly. way they Now they, you, you see that the story is about the little pieces that they've been finding. Yeah. It's like, okay, <laughs> like, where, what time is it, people? <laughs> Again, see, to say that we know. We don't know. Yeah, we don't right? know. Right. Um, so anyway, it's a, it's an ancient Mesopotamian poem, actually. I know 12 tablets don't seem like a poem. It seems like more <laughs> a book, but it's actually, you know, classified as a poem. Uh, I don't know why. I'm not an archaeologist. So. Would it be like an epic poetry? Is that... The style? I guess. Uh, I didn't, you know what? See, you gave me something to research. So I don't know, people. And guess what? It's okay to say I don't know. It is. You know? I don't know so much. Yeah. I don't know. Listen, I don't remember who said it, but the wisest, I don't know if it was like Socrates. It was one of the Greek philosophers who says, you know, I am, oh, no, no. It was someone talking about uh, uh, Socrates, and he said, Socrates is wise because he knows he's not. Mm, so I'm like, okay, I like, I like that. that. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, good. Um, I give that. I give credit to that. I think that was my professor, uh, Dr. Betts, who told us that. I love um, Dr. Betts. Shout yeah. out to Dr. Betts. I love her. She's great. <laughs> um, Mesopotamian poem, and it originated in Sumeria. Um, that's what we know so far. Um, and I think we agreed upon that. That area would have been like present-day Iraq, somewhere in that area. Um, 
the earliest versions was written in the actual language of the Sumerian language, and then later versions were converted into Akkadian, and then what was the other one? Can't remember. Oh boy. And whatever. We'll just <laughs> stick with that for now. <laughs> uh, so Gilgamesh is the main character of the epic. Uh, he's he is a historical figure who likely ruled the city of Uruk around 27 BCE. That's a tentative number. Um, in the epic, he is portrayed as a powerful and arrogant king who embarks on a quest of immortality after the death of his friend Enkidu. Uh, and again, this epic explores universal themes such as friendship, uh, the fear of death, uh, the quest for mortality, and the responsibilities of leadership. It also addresses the relationship uh, between the human and the divine. And this is one of the first written stories that we have proof that, you know, uh, not proof, but uh, 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 a sign of uh, humans communicating with God or gods at this point. Um, uh, Enkidu, who was a, a significant figure in this story, is a wild man created by the gods to humble Gilgamesh because Gilgamesh, you know, uh, in the beginning of the story, you know, he got a little big on himself because, you know, he, I don't know if you know anything, but he was very strong. Um, Hercules' story was kind of like, I think, came from this story, too, the story of Hercules because of Gilgamesh's strength. Uh, so the two initially cra uh, clashed, but later became close friends, and Enkidu's death deeply affected Gilgamesh and motivated him to search for his own immortality. And... Uh, I think the interesting part about, and we'll go through the different uh, characters as we move throughout the show, because this story will always come up in all these different themes that we we talk about because they're all all kind of related. Um, but one of the interesting interesting things I, I noticed when they were talking about Enkidu and Gilgamesh is Enkidu was the wild one, right? So he's the chaos. He's the, the chaotic one in the wild, right? And interesting when you if you read some of the earlier tablets and he's talking about Enkidu he kind of mirrored the figure of John the Baptist in the mm. Bible the man interesting. yeah and I thought I was like whoa when I, I said the same thing when I read when I was reading about Enkidu I'm like oh wow you know and then and, and his description of being hairy and the things he ate similar to John the Baptist I was like wow interesting um but anyway He's depicted as the wild man, but he's also kind of wise in his wildness, right? And Gilgamesh at this point, he's winning all his epic battles. He is like the depiction of extreme order. You know, he's the he's the order of everything, and no one can beat him. So with that extreme order, he kind of started feeling himself. You know, he got big-headed. The ego started, you know, outweighing him. Uh, so when he and Enkidu uh, encounter one another in a fight and they battle each other, he humbles Gilgamesh to the point because he'll, Gilgamesh could not overpower him like he so easily uh, overpowered even smaller gods in some of the stories, and he mm -hmm. couldn't overpower Enkidu. So that just goes to show you the power, that, that chaos and that order coming together and what it created. It was a balanced friendship. So with the humbling part, like, is it because the gods were jealous he kept kicking their ass? Or, like, why did they want him to be humbled? It doesn't really say. You know, it kind of... They, they, they put that line out there. 
um, in, in some of the earlier tablets about wanting to humble him. But they, the gods themselves, really, not from anything that I've read so far, and maybe my memory's failing me, but I didn't read anything that, that, that gave, they didn't give an explanation in anything that I read. But I, I, I look at the story as it's a perfect, perfect, perfect part of the story to get us to think about, like, why do I need to be humbled? You know, why should I yeah. look at the other side of some things? And why shouldn't I be so ordered in such a way to, you know, negate things that uh, don't fit in with my order, right? And I think when I, my first reading of it, I looked, I, I, I kind of viewed it as, okay, change is good. <laughs> so a lot of times we don't like change. We get so ordered, we get so structured in our daily routines that the slightest little change in that, that daily routine throws your whole day you know yeah. all experiences we, we just we just lose it right yeah. everything is just it's done the world is about the end it's awful you yeah. know because i didn't have my coffee at 7 30 in the morning you know, you know what i mean yeah. so i think it's something like that obviously i'm like oversimplifying it and i'm sure you epic of gilgamesh listeners out there like you stupid fool like no it means this but yes yeah, um, all the gilgamesh scholars yeah. are gonna come for us <laughs> i have another question though so uh, with like your understanding of like Gilgamesh as the order and what was the other person's name? Enkidu. Enkidu as the chaos. Mm. Is it also possible to conceptualize it as Gilgamesh being the chaos and Enkidu being the order since he's like coming to humble Gilgamesh and like stop his reign of like battling people? That's is a it, good point. Did you see it that way as well? Yes. <laughs> your perspective is your perspective, That's right? That's true. And there is definitely truth in that because if we go back to that symbol like we spoke about in the first uh, show, uh, the Taoist symbol of the yin and yang, and each those little circles within the two sides themselves are the opposites of the sides themselves. Mm -hmm. So chaos always has an element of order, and order always has an element of chaos. So it's definitely true that Enkidu could have been the order, and maybe Gilgamesh was the chaos, because as... Think about it, and this is going to relate to what we talk about later in the uh, the in your segment about the the uh, Tower of Babel. Um, as Gilgamesh, say, got too big and got too ordered, right? Too much order eventually collapses in on itself, mm. right? Because of the, the two ordered, the two structured. It, yeah, it can't. There's no balance. Yeah, there's no. Yeah, there's no balance. Good word. There's no balance for it. So it will eventually collapse in on itself, and it's the same thing for chaos. Too much chaos. Eventually, it just it order is bred out of actually chaos. Mm -hmm. This is why. Don't castrate me for this, ladies. But I've, I have this this working thing where I believe because we're always going to be we're going to be talking about biblical stories here, and I just want you to think philosophically when I say this. Um, I I see woman in in the biblical story as chaos, and man in the biblical story as order. And I'm not talking about gender roles and all that. There's something deeper there to that, because women birth order, but they're also chaos themselves. Whereas men are order, and they collapse into chaos. Mm. So there's a difference, and that's something to be explored. We'll explore this. Uh, when we get to, you know, Genesis and all that when, in, in your segments in, in the future. But I think there's definitely something to that. And we'll, we'll keep coming back to this. So I don't yeah. want to get off. 
just you know. to get off on it in just a second. Yeah. I, wanna, I do want to say, like, that's an interesting idea because in a lot of Jewish, like, rabbinical scholarship, mm. there's this idea about men can be logically closer to God in the way that they can understand sort of more of the theology better. This is, mm. again, this is not coming from me, okay? So don't, <laughs> but it's mm. this idea that men can understand, like, the theology better and this kind of thing. But women understand the more spiritual and emotional aspect of God way better than men can. Mm. And that's why, like, there's this whole idea that you cannot have a bracha without a woman. Mm. You can't have a blessing without a mm. woman because the blessing comes from her because she's mm. the one that's spiritually connected to God. Yeah. And it's because of this more like attunement with like her emotions and mm. her spirituality that men can have. So it's a very interesting uh, concept that I think there would be a lot of rabbinical sort of rabbis mm. that would agree <laughs> with, yeah. that, with that idea. Yeah, and it's it's it's... When we say the word chaos, immediately it, it has a bad connotation in most most people's minds because we we've been taught that chaos is destruction, and you see people in the streets, and you see the purge movies. Is, is that what when people start thinking about Armageddon? Yeah. Is what we think about, and that's not what it is. The creation is chaos. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, creation is chaos, and giving it there is something to birthing order out of chaos, and there's something to order you know, uh, de- deteriorating into chaos if it's too ordered. Mm-hmm. So if you don't, if, if, cha- if order doesn't have that chaotic element to it, it will be too ordered and it will be self-destruct. You know, yeah. It will be self-destructive, I should say. So don't be offended, ladies, that you're chaos. It's actually a good thing. It's a good thing, a very yes. good thing. <laughs> you guys birthed the order that we need, <laughs> which is a great thing because I think there's a reason why, you know, uh, in those old stories, the two are married together mm-hmm. in that sense. You know what I mean? So so anyway, how much time we got? I'll give a little bit of a story for like five minutes because <laughs> we see what happens when we start talking. I know. That's okay, though. <laughs> it's a good conversation. All right. So, uh, all right, let's get right into it. So let me read a little bit, a little excerpt from... Tablet 11 is the flood story of the Epic of Gilgamesh. It's the Sumerian version. All right, here we go. So Gilgamesh spoke to Unup... Oh, my gosh. <laughs> you got this. <laughs> Utenup Nishtam, the far away, okay? I have been lo- looking for you, looking at you, but your appearance is not strange. You are like me. Interesting. You yourself are not different. You are like me. My mind was resolved to fight with you, but instead my arm lies useless over you. Tell me, how is it that you stand in the assembly of the gods and have found life? Anupnishtam spoke to Gilgamesh, saying, I will reveal to you, Gilgamesh, a thing that is hidden, a secret of the gods I will tell you. Shurupak a city that you surely know, situated on the banks of the Euphrates. That city was very old, and there were gods inside it. The hearts of the great gods moved them to inflict the flood. Their father, Anu, uttered the oath of secrecy. Valiant Enlil was their advisor. Ninurta was their chamberlain. Nguji was their minister of canals. Ea, the clever prince, was under oath with them. 
So he repeated their task to the reed house. Reed house, reed house. Wall, wall. O man of Shuparak, son of Ubaratu, tear down the house and build a boat. Abandon wealth and seek living beings. Spurn possessions and keep alive living beings. Make all living beings go up into the boat. The boat which you are to build, its dimensions must, must measure equal to each other. Its length must be corresponded to its width. Roof it over like the Apsu. I understand and spoke to my lord Eo. My lord, thus is the command which you have uttered. I will heed and I will do it. But what shall I answer the city, the populace, and the elders? He spoke, commanding me, his servant. You will then, this is what you will say to them. It appears that Enlil is rejecting me, so I cannot reside in your city, nor set foot on Enlil's earth. I will go down to the Epsu to live with my lord Eo. We'll end it with this one. And upon you he will rain down abundance, a profusion of fowl, myriad fishes, he will bring to you a harvest of wealth. In the morning, he will let loaves of bread shower down, an evening and rain of wheat. Just as dawn began to glow, the land assembled around me. The carpenter carried his hatchet. The reed worker carried his flattening stone, the men. And we'll end with that part. Hmm. A couple of things already like come to my mind, like the idea of like loaves raining down reminds yes. me of mom. Yeah, yeah, during Moses' time. <laughs> Yes. And then, of course, the flood story reminds me of mm -hmm. Noah. Um, but and it actually goes on to, it gives the same dimensions that the Lord gives in the story of Noah. The same exact dimensions. In, in the same cubits. Huh. Yes. <laughs> that is interesting. <laughs> so I have a working theory about the, these flood stories, and we'll get to that another time. Because I really want to get into your segment in uh you know, we'll pick back up on this next week. I guess this segment of Epic of Gilgamesh is going to be pretty long. It, Our little timeline is just out the window, yes. people. <laughs> so. Yeah, we constructed, like, a whole timeline of episodes, and if day one, we're like, mm. <laughs> Well, there's so much to unpack. Yeah, there is. Yeah, so. And just, like, to unpack stuff briefly, like, could you talk a little bit more about some of the characters that were mentioned in mm -hmm. what you just read? So... Anupnishtam, I guess he's called the the far away. I believe he, they're all gods. Okay. Right. They're all they're all gods. Um, for some reason, I, I kind of I, I look at him, I as akin to, uh, he's either God's voice, which we know in the the Bible and Torah. Usually, that's the angel Gabriel. Was God's voice, right? Um, Depends. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I kind of he, he I liken him to that figure for some reason. He was the first thing that popped in my head was the angel Gabriel, and um, and obviously this is older, so it's that. And then all of the other gods that are mentioned, they're all gods themselves, little g gods. They all have specific duties. So in this story, like one created actually human beings, and oh, yeah. Interesting. Um, I haven't really broken down who Enlil is yet. He's the angry one. Um, but I'll, I'll, we'll get back to that next week. I'll investigate <laughs> him more. Because there's so many. When you start reading about one, 
it's so much information. It's just yeah. it's overwhelming, you know. <laughs> and it's like, oh wow, this is fascinating. And then uh, you just get off on another tangent. You're like, what was I supposed to be reading this for? You know, that's how I get because I, I get off like I just go. So I yeah, but just thing. in short, most of them are gods, little gods. Okay. And I, and I know I believe the far away is the the voice okay. of. I equate that equate, equate him with the voice of God, but he is a God himself too. He okay. Called it far away. And what did you take out of the story? Like, what is what? Are, what are your thoughts? <laughs> I didn't want to talk about this yet. Talk about it. <laughs> well, this story closely relates to what you're going to be talking about today, I believe, and. Beyond, uh, beyond the sin, let's call it the sin, because usually that's what we call this stuff. Or let's say the wickedness that of, of what caused this, right? Because it was the wickedness of whatever these people were doing that caused these gods to say, you know, let's just do away with them because we, we made a mistake. Mm. You know, whatever that wickedness was, it was enough, and it was so overwhelming that it caused the gods to realize that they made a mistake, which is interesting, for for a god to admit to a mistake. Yeah, yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Now, I know I'm, I'm sort of humanizing him in this way because I don't think it's, I don't think he would call it a mistake. I don't know what else, what else to term it. I just know it as a mistake. But for for a god to admit to doing something that maybe he he he, he or she shouldn't have done i think is it, it, it's profound for us which means especially when we get in this ordered state so wickedness can be ordered too we we may equate wickedness with with simply being chaos but no wickedness is actually ordered uh, 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 think about hitler <laughs> how how doesn't get no more ordered than that yeah. That wasn't chaos. That no, was order in the most slaughter. Yeah. That was order on the most extreme end. Mm-hmm. It's just that we're taught that that was chaos, but it actually wasn't. No, that was that is what extreme order looks like and that is the product of extreme order and this will relate to your story too when you get to it. You know. So I think there's something to uh a god admitting to a mistake and then also pronouncing judgment but then also being Showing the wisdom enough to show that us to show us humans that it's okay to admit to mis- admit to a mistake, and then have the same wisdom to correct the mistake. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it's okay to have both, and it's not a, sh- a sign of weakness to say that we make a mistake. That's like the the surface of it. So interesting. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> I have so many thoughts going on in my head right now. <laughs> like, how how do you relate, like, this God mm. to sort of the more, I guess... Mm, the singular figure that we have. Yeah, the one that's more, like, not necessarily horrible about people's mistakes mm. but like certainly wouldn't view like the Tower of Babel story that we're going to be talking about as like a mistake on his part mm. you know it would have been like we we fucked up kind mm-hmm. of thing so how how do you view like those two sort of depictions of God mm. 
Well, I don't relate. I don't. I don't think the Tower of Babel story is a mistake story. That's one. Yeah. I think there's something else in that. Um, and like I said, I I really don't think it's a mistake. I just don't know wh- what other word mm. or term to use. Um, I want to say it's God's goodness that leads to this. But then this will get us way off topic. And <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's, it's so much even to unpack in that. But just just leave people with a thought. Think about God's goodness as justice. Think about that. Think about it in terms of that. And then, you know, we'll 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 come back to this. Okay. Yeah. And then just, I guess, to relate a little, not like a personal anecdote, but like a mm-hmm. rabbinical anecdote <laughs> into like this whole idea of like order and chaos and God. Um, one of the things that rabbis say is that God made the world three times. I'm going to get number one and number two probably mixed up, but it doesn't detract from what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. So the first time he tried to make it out of love, Hesed. Mm-hmm. And the world was just, it wouldn't hold together. It was just so like formless mm-hmm. that there would not be a shape that came and formed like, you know, mm-hmm. us in the world. And so then he was like, okay, let's try to make it out of judgment or din. Mm-hmm. So he makes it out of din and it's just so hard and so stiff. And there's like not even, not room for anything at all, not mm-hmm. even life. And so of course he couldn't do that. And so the third time he makes it, he makes it into a balance between hesed and din and Mm -hmm. love and judgment. And that is the world that we live in now. And so, like, it's this interesting idea that there is even balance that is needed in creation. Mm -hmm. And so... It's a natural byproduct of his, his creative, you know. All of it is a byproduct of love, but each thing is its own thing. You know, its own its own essence or ether, for people who don't know what that is. It's 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 something that we can't quite quite, you know, describe, but they're all related. And I think it's something too, the fact that they even have a story that says he created us three times. Right. Creation's three. Yeah, three is a number that comes up a lot in case people are not familiar with mythology. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's very common. But I guess like moving on to our Tower of Babel story. Moving on. Let us know what this Tower of Babel is. Yes. And first, just a quick shout out to anyone that may have just joined in. Um, This is Beyond Babel, a little history podcast. And you can follow us on Instagram Mm -hmm. at beyond underscore Babel. Um, And I'm Acer and Paul is our co-host here. (laughs) So... Tower of Babel. Um, there are a couple of different dates that people sort of argue about of when this actually happened. Again, like I had said in the first episode that I'm going to be using the Orthodox timeline, so then that would put it at approximately 1700 BCE. But there are people that argue that it was much earlier than that, that it was anywhere between like 2000 to 2500 BCE. <clears throat> but uh, just putting that out there. So the first thing I'm going to do, because this is a very short story, I'm actually going to read it like a little story time. <laughs> so we're going to have story that. Story time with Story Acer. time, yes. 
So if you are interested in looking at it yourself, it's in Genesis 11, 1 through 9. What version are you reading? I am reading the version I pulled off of Safari. Okay. <laughs> Which, if anyone's wondering, Safari is an amazing site for looking at Jewish text. I strongly recommend it. Um, you can have all kinds of displays. I'm not going to pitch Safari too much, but like, it's a really good uh, resource for anyone. If they decide to pay us, we would. <laughs> I would love it if they did. <laughs> I pay them right now. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> so, Tower of Babel. Everyone on earth had the same language and the same words. And as they migrated from the east, they came upon a valley in the land of Shinar and settled there. They said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them hard. Bricks served them as stone, and bitumen served them as mortar. Mm. And they said, Come, let us build a city and a tower with its top in the sky to make a name for ourselves, else we shall be scattered all over the world. Adonai, interestingly enough, it uses the uh, tetragrammaton. I can never say that word. Uh, hey, Bob. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm so bad at saying that word. It was like tetragrammaton. Tetragrammaton. It starts with tetra, but anyway. Uh, came down to look at the city and tower that humanity had built. And Adonai, again, using Yudhe said... If as one people with one language for all, this is how they have begun to act, then nothing that they may propose to do will be out of their reach. Let us then go down and confound their speech there so they, that they shall not know one another's speech. Thus Adonai scattered them from one, from over, from, <laughs> from over there. Sorry, there's just a lurker. <laughs> Thus Adonai scattered them from there over the face of the whole earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel, because Adonai confounded the speech of the whole earth, and from there Adonai scattered them over the face of the whole earth. And so immediately, like, my thought would be, I don't understand the issue. Why why, why do they like they get scattered? Um, and so... For those who don't know who Adonai is, let them know. Oh, yeah, so... Th- there's a lot of different ways that you can refer to as to God as um, there's Melech, Elohim, Adonai, Yotevavhe. So Adonai is one of those. It literally means Lord. Um, and yeah, in Hebrew. Yes, in Hebrew. Uh, but it's one of the many. <laughs> one of the many. And so if you do end up reading like the Old Testament or Tanakh or however you want to refer to it in Hebrew, you will see lots of different words for God. Mm-hmm. Um and so with the story, it's kind of like, well, what is the purpose of, you know, scattering them like this? Um, there are rabbinical commentaries that essentially say that the reason is because the people that were building this tower were building it for the sake of sort of taunting God. So it's this idea that because they were able to do anything that they set their mind to, they sort of were, they started to think, well, what was the sky in the sky anyway? Like, what, what do we have to do? Why do we have to sacrifice to him? We can do whatever we want. And so they built this tower. There's a, um, I think it's, a, it's either a midrash or a commentary that essentially says that they built an idol on top of the tower with a sword pointing towards the sky um, in order to taunt God because... They're, essentially, they felt at the time that their 
they were good enough and there's no reason to even worship this god at all um and of course <laughs> that didn't go over well mm-hmm. <laughs> and there's so much common commentary on this whole thing um but the let's say if i'm i'm going to read an excerpt that's why i'm scanning um so Genesis 1 3, or sorry, 11 3, which is the line they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them hard. Um, there's a common commentary on that by Ibn Ezra, and he says that they wanted to build a, a great city to dwell in and a very tall tower to ensure their fame and glory and to serve as a sign indicating the place of the city to those outside it, such as shepherds. The tower, as long as it stood, would also perpetrate their names after their deaths. This is the meaning of, and let us make us a name. So it's this idea that people are also trying to like immortalize themselves. Kind of Mm -hmm. what you were talking about with the story of Gilgamesh, right? Mm -hmm. Like he went on this whole quest to try to find a way to live forever. And Mm -hmm. in a way, that's kind of what's going on here too. Mm -hmm. Like they're trying to (laughs) escape like their humanness Mm -hmm. and trying to live forever. Um, Additionally, there are other commentaries that say that they, the reason that the tower was so tall was to hold the community together um, so that people from all over would be able to see the tower and like migrate to it. And I think it's probably important to note here that at this time, the language, the shared language that people are talking about is largely agreed to have been Hebrew. Um, and so I find that kind of interesting. <laughs> yeah, the whole language uh, aspect is, is very intriguing to me. And um, I wish for my personal reasons, and I'm not saying that, you know, the Lord didn't do a good job in leaving uh, some nuggets of information. But I would have been, uh, I, I would find myself when I read, you know, when we talk about this story, I always think within the realm of archetypes, what was the cornerstone that they used for the building? Because cornerstones in uh, a lot of the Jewish writings that I've read are sign- very significant. And Oh, just that part always interests me. Like, what would have been the cornerstone? What was? Because there's a lot of symbolism in the cornerstone. You know, what is the cornerstone of the thing that you believe? You know, because that's the thing that foundations are set on. So, that would have been interesting to know. I want to know what you think about this story. Well, there is a commentary that talks about a sort of conceptual cornerstone, which Mm. is that when it talks about one people, it's that they all fall under the same religion. Mm. And this is also from Ibn Ezra. He says, different religions create jealousy and hatred among people. The same is true with regard to different languages. And that's why everyone speaks Mm -hmm. the same language. In my own thoughts about the story, I I have very conflicting thoughts because on one hand it's the commentators that sort of give this additional information like Rashi is the Mm. one that talks about this idea of people trying to fight God basically Mm. and that they're they're called different different um, generations so there's like the flood generation this all takes place after the flood so this is with Noah and his kids Um, 
And so that's the flood generation. Mm -hmm. And then the generation of the dispersion is what it's called. And that is this current generation that will be dispersed with from Babel. I think I kind of read it more like the the rabbis and the commentators tend to read it as a very like literal, like this literally happened mm. and people did all speak Hebrew and mm. all like were Jewish and then got separated and dispersed. Mm. I don't interpret it that way. I interpret it more of a way that kind of speaks to like our common root as human beings mm-hmm. and that over time, um, we had ended up migrating away from each other. And I don't necessarily know if that has anything to do with, like, trying to defy God Mm -hmm. or anything like that. Um, I kind of look at it more of this idea, almost like a commentary on human nature. Mm -hmm. Like, because we all, you know, get obsessed with our own sort of like ethnic groups, our own religions, our own languages and all of these things, our own cultures, and then have like this sort of ethnocentric model where we project onto other people that, Mm -hmm. you know, we're better than them, we're better than them. I kind of view it as that, like the reason that we can't come together and actually be able to accomplish the things that we could do, like the amazing things we could do as a human species. Mm is because we view each other as higher up, as like holier or, or closer to God than other groups of people. So that's kind of how I make sense of the story. There's nothing wrong with that. Like that <laughs> you know? um, to the language thing, I see there is a thread of language in, in any of thing, anything, right? You know, as a, a, a newborn to philosophy, I often wonder myself, do I, do I think... Are my thoughts in a language or are my thoughts something else? I know my the language um, is the, the symbolic form that we get to see that, oh, these are my thoughts because I get to lay them out in this particular language that we all, you know, in America who speak English mm-hmm. could understand. But I just wonder, are the thoughts actually formulated in that? It's a weird thing when you think about a thought, right? Um and I do believe that, like you, I don't think that they all spoke the same language exclusively, but I do think uh, for years, right, for instance, for much of modern Western history, uh, uh, French was known as what? The international business yeah. language, right? So a lot of people spoke French because that was the business language. Today, I'm probably thinking it's English would probably be the English, the, the national, international uh, business language. So a lot of people are speaking English because that's the language you need to speak to make money, right? So I think there's something to that, similar to this this story in Babel. Like, yeah, they probably all did speak or understood a certain language to accomplish, you know, building these, you know, uh, this tower. But like you, I, I believe that they probably had other languages too. It's just that they all had a common language that they understood together, which there's something to that. And then, um, just my own little thoughts, right? When I, when I think about this story, uh, God coming down and confounding us in that way, right? It, it seems kind of harsh, right? <laughs> yeah, it does. Yeah. So as a philosopher, we're taught to always uh, 
whoever we're going to critique, we want to um, critique with a charitable view, right? So I apply that with, with God. I believe in God, right? So I assume God is right and I'm wrong when I approach these kind of things because if it does something to my mind that gets me off of like trying to put my interpretation into God versus trying to see it from his lens. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what you have to do. <coughs> and then I think that there's something to this. Remember, in, what was that, 2008, the too big to fail thing came up? I have no idea. That, that was when the housing bubble burst and we had oh, a, yeah, a recession yeah. and all that in 2008. Well, they came up with that term, too big to fail. And I remember that when you just, just were talking. That's what I was literally just, I wrote that down when we were talking. The too big to fail. And I think there's something to that, the too big to fail thing with this story. And when we were talking about systems, right, and this story to me is an ultimate uh, depiction of a thing being too ordered. So... We'll go back to one of your things you said about systems. So a properly functioning system, right? It will it will have an appropriate scale, right? Mm. Which means it's gonna operate efficiently at its appropriate at its whatever the designated scale is, right? And if you go beyond that scale, it's gonna crumble. Like disaster is looming if it goes beyond the scale that it's meant to you know, that it was proportionally built to sustain. So I think that with this, and we'll, I know we're running out of time, but keep this in mind as we pick back up on this next week. I think that God was warning us in this particular story. And I wrote down, I think he's warning us against the expansion of a system um, and uh, but a specific type of system, uh, 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 the type of system that will encompass everything. AI. <laughs> right. So, and to replace heaven with a system that will encompass everything, I think that's what he was warning us against, and that's one of the reasons that this this particular thing happened. Yeah. And you can see what we do with, like, a shared mm-hmm. language, right? Like, we mm-hmm. kind of just increasingly, like, distance ourselves from nature and like reality and like Mm -hmm. our roots so like I think there is definitely truth to that I will say like with the shared language I don't know if it would count as one people though without like also the shared culture just Mm -hmm. because like people that speak English like understand it in different ways if they come from different places so that's the only thing that I would be wondering about with that idea but I think that that holds true for now like mm-hmm. because obviously like we come back we have like we're destroying the planet you know <laughs> we're doing like all mm-hmm. of these things in the name of like this sort of transaction in the mm-hmm. name of like building something that we think can defy reality mm-hmm. and in a sense defy god and it's just not going to end well for us right. and so that the rabbis actually say that the reason he scattered us was not an act of punishment. It was mm-hmm. to protect us right. because what we will do when we come together will always be at our own expense and at our own destruction. 
Well, think about that, right? That same thought as we move on here, I'm going to fast forward to some other stuff. But what you just said, now think, take that thought and think about why did he kick us out of the garden to get us away from the tree of eternal life? Mm. The first thing that the the rabbi yeah. said, the first thing that we would go mm-hmm. we would go for after we got um, after we had the mm-hmm. fruit of knowledge and understood, they say the first thing that Adam and Eve were going to go for was the tree of immortality, yeah. so that they could live forever. No, exactly <laughs> right. Think about that. Now, the God that we know, we serve, and that we love, is he a merciful God? I would say so. So that was an act of mercy Yeah. that he did that, that he kept that from us. And I say that it was an act of mercy because think about it. Would you want to live forever no. <laughs> in no. a state where you're eternally separated from him? No. Thank you. <laughs> so it wasn't a punishment no, that we didn't get to live punishment. forever in this fallen state. It was a mercy. He didn't want us to stay in this fallen state. Yeah. And then obviously he had to work out a plan on how to get us, you know, back to back to him in that sense. But yeah, when you said that, that's one of the things I thought about, because I've thought about that a lot in, in, in that, you know, particular story. It's like, why why did he keep the tree from us? You know? And then he put, you know, the, the fiery trap, the, the, you know, the cherub to protect that particular part yeah. of the tree. You know what I mean? Well, that part of the garden. And it was like, oh, that, that was more of an act of mercy, not him punishing us. It's like, no, I don't want you to live forever in this state. Yeah. You yeah. Know? And I think so. people misinterpret it because I think people tend to think that eating the tree, the punishment mm-hmm. from that is death, but they were already living in a mortal state. Like they mm-hmm. were going to die of old age. That was going to happen. It's this idea of wanting to seek what isn't reality that's the problem mm-hmm. because we were created to live in reality, in nature, um, in things that are good for us. And in, in order to ascend and be with God at the end of the day. So we're going to wrap <laughs> wrap it up from here. I don't want to go. I know, We're right? not next, man. We're taking your time. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> hijacking the station. <laughs> but next week, we will pick back up on the flood story of Noah and also in the intermediate Bronze Age of the Israelite people. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in. You can follow us again at, at yes, beyond you, underscore babble. Thank you, Paul, for joining me. Thank you, sir. And have a good rest of your week. You too. Thank you. Bye, everyone. Take care out there. And think. <laughs>